the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? Side chatters, we have been deeply analyzing our reality for quite some time. But where is the line between truth and the carefully crafted constructs the powerful elite have cooked up? We know deceptive authorities are not to be trusted. We see how they've built a mediocrity machine we're forced to spend our formative years in we call compulsory schooling. We recognize the quarantine around alternative fuels, keeping us on the comeback for Rockefeller oil even decades later. We get that natural foods and plant-based medicines have been stripped down and discarded in exchange for proprietary chemicals that are sending us down a path of destruction. We've found ourselves in a state of perpetual war and propaganda, with the TV slowly turning us against each other. We've uncovered major deceptions from NASA and the PR projects that let us know they've got it all under control. We've re-examined the timeline of human history itself, picking out problems and wondering just how badly it's been altered. And of course, we've taken our inquiry to the extreme and considered our entire earthly environment to be an illusion and a backwards lie. Well, helping me take this trip into unexpected territory many steps of the way has been the man we call Crow, the true OG of the lunar wave footage and many strange filmings in the sky of our human terrarium. He's the man who brought us the work of the deceased Russian scientist known as Hattie Bob, suggesting that spider beings from space took over and added to our little solar system here converting it to a cosmic factory farm complete with a UFO maintenance crew. And now he's become a podcaster extraordinaire, hosting his own Crow 777 radio podcast. It's been too long, and it's a real treat to have him back. Everyone loves a Crow show. My friend and yours, Crow, good sir, how the hell are you? <laughs> Great, man. How are you? It's it's good to be back. <laughs> F&A, man. Yeah, I can't complain. I'm pumped to do this, too. I've been catching up on your show all this week, trying to see where your head's at these days. And maybe we should just jump right into the deep end of the pool. We've been doing this long enough. You got this podcast. You're about 40 episodes in. How has it affected you? Have there been any new conclusions or ideas that have your attention these days? Well, in a way, things... I had to come to the East Coast to take care of a family member, and it kind of cut into my ability to film the sky, which incidentally will pick up again in spring here. But having said that, I started to prioritize what I think is important. And, you know, every time I go out into the world, I see people who are suffering, who are fooled, who are socially engineered to be suffering and fooled. And so that really became a focus of mine to begin to try to communicate at a level-headed low level that allows people to at least consider what we call reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I've been hearing so many great guests come up on your show and so many new ideas. And I have to say, you have some great titles too. One of your episodes is titled, Hello, 911 Operator, I'd like to report a mind rape. And uh, if that doesn't get people's attention, I don't know what will. Well, maybe a truer title was never written because pretty much, you know, 9-11 is a funny thing because it happened and maybe not a lot of people became aware that it was basically an inside job to say the least, but it triggered something 
in the Western world's mind. And by the time we got to Sandy Hook, so many people had stepped away and said, hey, man, something's not right here. And so when I did that episode, I tried to go at it from the point of view of the people who did it and specifically from people like Crowley and basically broke the whole thing down as a ritual, as a magic kind of Luciferian ritual. So that was an interesting episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, the stagecraft is strong. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard you mention in passing on your show that you've kind of moved away from the Hattie Bow material. And I got to ask you why. Did something happen that made that research seem less credible to you? Well, from the get-go, the reason I initially began to look at it closely was because it was possible that the lunar wave was being described in some way, shape, or form. After a, a number of Russian speakers had gone at the text and translated it, we had a majority who felt that he was, in fact, describing the lunar wave, but we did have maybe three or four who dissented from that opinion. Having said this, you know, you get into spiders and UFOs and all these things that I don't buy into, frankly. I spent four years of my life filming nonstop with some very good telescopic tools, very good cameras, and I have never seen anything in this world that lets me know that there is any reality to the alien argument. And to top it off, as I began to break out social engineering on my show, I did a lot of research into Tavistock, which I'd never really paid attention to. And they flat out claim responsibility for the alien agenda in their social engineering program, things like Roswell, of course, done on the 33rd parallel. So my problem with Hattie Bob is I think it's so critically important that people try to get to a more real way of thinking about where we are. And Hattie Bob was not the guy to do that. But what was worse is we couldn't prove he was a real man. That's finally where I cut the tether. We tried pretty hard to prove that he was actually a living human being and we couldn't do it. Hmm. Wow, man. I hate to hear that. I really liked the exploration of that material. Those were good times. And it was interesting that you did film some heightened activity for UFOs in the areas where Hattie Bob said the crafts that kind of construct our world and act as its maintenance crew are warehoused. So I don't know. I guess I'd ask you, what are UFOs? If you've dismissed this material and it's not aliens, what are these strange things that we're seeing in the sky that you've filmed several times before? Yeah, I think it's all human tech. I think the level at which human tech has gone would be akin to magic for most people. And I know, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who said that very thing in one of his maxims, that any technology sufficiently advanced would appear to be magical to an average person. I think that's what we're looking at. You know, I, I, I filmed the shooting orb. You know, if you're ever going to shoot anything with a camera, and I was looking at that with my naked eyes, you know, which was an unusual thing when we were filming the orbs around chemtrails. Typically, we found them in the footage later. But I knew I was filming these things. And when you begin to go back on that, you're looking at basically a ball of light that fired some bizarre-looking plasma beam kind of thing twice into the chemtrail. I have it on HD footage. But when you take all the experience over those four years of filming and really come back and examine it in a reality-based mind, what you come to understand is you're looking at technology. The question becomes, could it be human? Could it be something else? And I think it has to be human. Hmm. And not only that, as I began to take apart satellites and realize that satellites are a lie, nobody is going above low Earth orbit. There are no things in orbit as described certainly not in what we call space. No one's been there. No one's going there. And if they have, it's misdescribed to us. And, you know, we've never seen anything 
any true representation of that. But the problem becomes people will then say, well, well, how do we have, you know, GPS and these other things? It turns out that technology is a thing that most people don't understand. If we consider things like GPS coming online just about the time for the people that we get cell phones, you begin to get a picture. But what's funny, Greg, is that you know where uh, College Grove Shopping Center is? Uh, yeah, I do. So College Grove, like if you're on that back road that parallels Highway 94 and you're going towards the beach, there's a stoplight, right, when you're going to get back on the freeway to head downtown on 94. For a long time, the bushes were not trimmed, but that's a Navy installation right there. And there's a big cement wall that says when the first, and I quote, global radio went into effect. And I think it's like 1909 or something like that. Maybe it's 1913. Very, very early. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at that, how many people, if you talk to on the street, would imagine that the first global radio system was around that early? And I know that's kind of a, a bit of a labored answer, but the point is, is I have never filmed anything that is so amazing that it cannot easily and rightly be attributed to human tech. Hmm. I mean, that is a fair point. When I see those orbs, I almost think they look like they're alive themselves. I, I guess I've kind of considered that, yeah, they probably are Earth-based, but I've thought of them more as like, almost like spiritual entities in a sense, the way the ancients used to say they'd see warring gods in the sky. I mean, I'm kind of like, are these orbs the manifestation of that? I don't know, of course. These are just guesses, but they seem more uh, alive than than technology to me, don't they? No? Well, they're, they're steered. I can tell you that they are steered. Okay. They're controlled. You know, they are controlled. The one that I filmed going into the chemtrail and firing its little whatever it fired a couple times, it's going against the wind. You can tell this by watching the direction of the chemtrail being pushed south by the wind as the orb comes straight down into the chemtrail and begins to veer northward and then, of course, changes its trajectory a couple times. That's flat out. The thing's being steered. It's intelligently controlled. But the question becomes, I mean, <laughs> are there little green men in that thing? And I just don't think so. I mean, they almost look like plasma to me. They look like a lighted little plasma thing. But we've got people who have filmed similar things being dropped out of planes, military planes, where chemtrailing is going on. And uh, I, I just, if anything had ever got me to the point where I was going to say, wow, is that extraterrestrial? It probably would have been that shooting orb. And ironically, it's in our atmosphere, although almost everything I have filmed, well, let's cut to the chase. Everything I have filmed, in my view, is in our atmosphere. <laughs> You, you just you you come to a point when you know your equipment. And in my case, I even called optics experts and got the value of a pixel at so many thousand miles away from me, this kind of thing. And I began to calculate these things out. You know, at one point, the Huffington Post ran an article and they got an FBI expert and they got the head of MUFON and they started taking apart one of my clips saying Crow doesn't know what he's talking about. This is clearly a satellite he's filmed transiting the moon in half geosynchronous orbit, which is roughly 11,100 miles, something like that. A geosync would be 22,000 miles by, by the NASA game. Anyhow, so I dove into that, and I went and I got an optics expert, and we measured the pixel and the frame for video for the exact camera I was using, for the exact telescope I was using, at the exact focal length I filmed. And what we found was is that if we accepted what the head of MUFON and the FBI said, that this object would be like three times the size of the ISS, which doesn't exist. But my point is, <laughs> these are nonsensical things. You know, the, the, it, it's 
far, the, the simplest answer is usually the one you should go for. The simple answer is, is that it's a hell of a lot closer than we think. And it's probably one of the things up there substituting for, you know, the satellites we were told were orbiting all over the place. Hmm. Provocative. Man, you're dropping little breadcrumbs to all kinds of things I want to get into. But the last Hattie Bob related thing I wanted to ask you about before we close the door on that is just that, you know, I love those days so much that I made a T-shirt based on uh, the conversations <laughs> we used to have about the warring factions of the elite, the spiders versus the owls, you know, the Bohemian Grove weaving spiders come not here sign. Right. Have you given any further thought to the symbolism of owls or spiders amongst the elite since we last talked? Yeah, you know, in a, in a way you can kind of, you know, maybe I haven't really dug in as a main focus, but I can tell you this, we can kind of see, or at least in my mind, I kind of think of it like this way. And, you know, maybe off the top of your head, think of the bassist of the band The Who that supposedly died in uh, in Las Vegas doing cocaine. You know, he always had a pin that he wore. It was a spider pin. And they have songs called Boris the Spider. It almost looks like the spider faction is maybe the younger kind of more modern Hollywood and that the owl is these old white guys like you would see at a Bohemian Grove if that was a real thing. Like you might think of these old Republicans, you know, two decades ago sitting in a smoke-filled room. That would be more my envisionment of what the owl is symbolizing, these old cantankerous white guys connected to old Europe and the monarchy and this kind of thing. Where the spider owl symbolism actually breaks down in finite detail. I'm not sure. I've talked to a few people, but I think we can see the symbolism in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating thread for sure. I love trying to unravel and unpack the power pyramid and what factions might be going up against each other in this Game of Thrones style narrative. Yeah, well, for the average person, you know, it's not that hard to decipher, at least in a way you can think about it. Think about the band, no doubt. So there's a young band, kind of a young Hollywoodish band. And of course, you know, the people in there have gone into movies and making clothes, lines and perfume. They're in that kind of Hollywood jet set. And they wrote a song called Walking in the Spiderweb. And these these things are not random events. See, this is the problem. Most people don't take language at its value. And when things are said, they don't understand that a lot of times you're being verbatim told something. Mm -hmm. Right. And th there's also bands and artists in Hollywood and in music that are using that owl. Drake, one of the most popular guys out today. I mean, his clothing brand is basically just the Bohemian Grove owl straight up. I mean, right. it's right there. We got Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z. I mean, there you go. There you, and there you go. You're drawing the line where I would, you know, those are those are the old white guy kind of thing. But I, I even saw a movie. I don't remember the name of it. The kid from that 70s show who played Eric Foreman showed up in a movie wearing a shirt saying owls are assholes with a yeah. big owl, you know. And <laughs> no so, for grace. Yeah, but, you know, just to make the point, you can tell it's a thing to somebody somewhere and that there's clean divisions, you know, there's different groups, clearly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So to the big stuff, man, I mean, anything new on the lunar wave front? Any new captures or ideas about what the moon might really be or be for? Um. You know, that was another kind of thing why I paid attention to Hattie Bob for as long as I did, because it wasn't just the lunar wave, but some of the things he was saying about control systems and constructs resonated with things I had arrived at independent of all that. Yeah, people have filmed waves. I've kind of backed away from it. Not 
that's the wrong way to say this. I've kind of tried to remove myself as the epicenter because if the lunar wave has value, then people need to be able to replicate it completely independent of me and the research or whatever people think about it needs to develop completely independent of me because it got to a point where I was like the guy. Mm-hmm. Someone filmed a wave and, you know, here it comes. Crow, please authenticate my footage. Crow, please tell me what's going on here. Tell me everything I want to know. And that's really not that's not a good way to make a thing real <laughs> is mm-hmm. to put one one guy at the center of things. So having said that, when I get back to filming, I'll be all over that as much as I have. But to tip my hat a little bit for those who want to get involved in things, I think the sun is where it's at right now. Mm-hmm. I think the sun has the ability to change everything we know. I think that chemtrails at sunrise and sunset for years now, I've been saying this, are covered on purpose. And I have recently been getting some very interesting footage of sunsets where we're seeing more than one object in the sky, bright object in the sky. Not that I'm saying there's two suns. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the first person who can find a place where chemtrails aren't killing them, that has decent equipment and focuses on these times, is really probably going to hit a pinnacle right up there in lunar wave territory. Wow, man. Yeah, you did tell me that lately you've been setting your sights on the sun that I believe now you think it might be much closer than the 93 million miles away that they tell us it is, right? Well, of course. And and any person can reasonably look at this. Let's consider a solar eclipse. When a solar eclipse happens, we're told what's happening is the moon is going in between the earth and the sun and blocking out the sun. Well, it doesn't take a genius to understand that for some reason that moon perfectly blocks the sun. Like a cookie cutter said, okay, we need a blocking object to completely cover the sun perfectly, and that's the size the moon is. And so we're told, well, you know, the the story we're given is nonsensical. Oh, well, it's 400 times smaller, and it's exactly 400 times closer. And all this nonsense where even a person who knows anything about statistics would understand that random events are not going to cause this. And if they did, it would be one in millions of billions for this kind of thing to go on. But here's the rub. I filmed every eclipse I could before San Diego, both lunar and solar. The last solar eclipse, it had dawned on me. When the moon is supposedly coming into position to block the sun from our point of view, I had a full spectrum camera and I reasoned that if I used light obliteration techniques, my full spectrum camera, all this bag of tricks I had accumulated, that I should be able to detect the moon before it breaks the limb of the sun. And I couldn't do it. It, it, You can't see it. And it makes no sense because here you're told there's a rock in orbit called the moon and it's being backlit by a star, by NASA's description, a sun, which I don't accept. But that's what we're being told is going on. So if this rock is so well backlit, how come I cannot detect it, even with a full-spectrum camera, before it breaks the limb of the sun? And to to put a fine point on that, when I was filming the lunar eclipses, with a typical camera, as the eclipse gets underway, part of the moon becomes blacked out in shadow, and you can't see it. Well, with my full-spectrum rig, I could see every portion of the moon at will, even the blacked-out portion. All I had to do was adjust my settings. And I could see, and what I began to find was, here's an example. There's a little crater on the moon that people are told is a naked eye object. It's called Aristarchus. It looks white to the eye. When the moon's near full, you can see with your naked eye, if you have good eyes, the Aristarchus crater that's 40 miles in diameter roughly. Well, when the eclipse was happening, 
and only a sliver of the moon was still lit, I put my full spec camera on it, lit up the whole moon so I could see the whole thing, and there was that little white dot. And I said to myself, self, how in the hell can it be that that is completely blacked out portion of the moon, and when I put the full spectrum camera on it, I can see white? That shouldn't be. And then I further reasoned when I was in the solar eclipse and I said, self, you should be able to detect the moon coming into an eclipse. And I couldn't do it. It begins to put the fine detail into the argument that we live in a construct that you need. In my view, the moon is not a rock in space. It's nowhere near 240,000 miles away from us. And as a matter of fact, I have a thought experiment posted on my channel that proves this. The sun, same thing. It's right here. It's not that far away from us. But for the moon, I took Google Earth and I put a 40-mile crater on Earth in Google Earth to fake like it was Aristarchus, and I made it white. I went up the 40,000 miles that Google Earth allows to see if I could detect this naked eye crater that we can see on the moon when it's near full. And you can't see it, and yet the moon would be five or six times further away. And even though, yes, we're looking at Google Earth, and yes, this is a computer demonstration, my point would be you can't detect it at all. As a matter of fact, you have to come to about 50% back the distance to begin to detect it. So it demonstrates that if you asked an average person who isn't fooled by all the NASA nonsense, just to use common sense, if you said, hey, man, do you think you could see a 40-mile white circle at a quarter of a million miles away? You know, the average person would probably tell you no. But anyhow, sorry for rambling. <laughs> no, man, I love it. This is the sweet spot for us, for sure. And that is pretty fascinating that you say you don't see the moon coming into a solar eclipse. That's right. I guess you could try to say it might be because of the sun's brightness blinding it out. But I see the moon pretty clearly in the daytime quite often. It's an odd thing. But this does call into question the entire sun, moon, earth paradigm here. Another new idea I keep hearing about that sounds so weird that I wanted to get your opinion on is if you would put yourself in that camp of people starting to think that the moon is actually giving off its own light rather than being a reflector. Yeah, it is. Wow. You can probably demonstrate that to a logical degree. Unfortunately, you're going to have to have some very smart people, maybe people like Eric Dollard smart, <laughs> that would begin to be able to describe that. You see, because the problem here is we live in a science-based world, but unfortunately what science is, is the, you know, it's the chain link fence that's keeping us all confined. It was made to allow us to do certain things that are very helpful, to have a car, to have a refrigerator, but it was also made to keep us from going beyond a certain point. You know, why the hell are we still burning fossil fuels after all this time? Well, science is part of that problem. Yeah. Any number of things, and in, in our even more sad overtoned way science is a bit of a religion now like when you come into a scientific group which i have done and you challenge nasa they're not going to talk to you they're just going to call you a silly man and ignore everything you say well you see this is the programming of science doing this science should be dictating that anything we can question should be questioned and yet this is not what we see and when you listen to very brilliant men like Eric Dollard, you listen to the description of the sun he'll give you. You know, it's hollow. It's possibly poking through to another dimension. It's what allows radio to work. All these things he says about it. And before I ever heard that man talk, I was already keenly aware that there's a direct correlation between everything that lives here in the sun. And there's a direct correlation between the contrived construct that we live in and the moon. 
some kind of a control system manner where these are like almost like a battery, the, the positive and negative poles on the system in a way. Hmm. I love it. And you uh, mentioned to me something about images of the sun with a, a black dot in the center of it that seemed to have people skeptical. <clears throat> well, I started to see these almost two years ago. And the problem was, is that people were sending me still images. The problem with the still images, first of all, you can't really rule out lens flare ever when you've got a still, unless there were multiple stills taken and you could see the lens flare reacting to the angle of the camera. But I, I have over this period seen many videos where there's more than one object near the setting sun. And I would say at least six or seven cases, I've seen a black dot. Now, the problem with this becomes you don't know who shot the video and it's not that hard to edit a black dot into anything. But then finally, not too long ago, I saw someone who had like a P900, this new popular camera everyone's using, because you can zoom on the moon as if it was a telescope almost with just the camera. He zoomed in on a black dot. And the crazy thing was, you could see the sun, you could see the black dot. There was a pond or a lake in the foreground that was reflecting the image. The black dot was over the sun in that reflected image. And when he zoomed in, it almost looked like this bizarre pixelation, like this illuminated pixelation. And while I'm keeping all this in my mind, you know me, you know, I got to be the guy. I got to go out and I got to I got to see this for my myself. We live in an age where anything can be made of video. And I have I know for a fact that the sun is going to be key in breaking the construct. I know I'm very sure that the chemtrailing at these times of days that blocks the sun is for this reason or probably also to stop people from sun gazing because there's true value in that as well. But my point would be there will come a time in spring when my camera and my kick-ass tools and other people I know with even better tools than I have are going to go at this. Hmm. Yeah, that becomes an interesting question because there does seem to be benefit from the sun's light, of course, vitamin D, as well as uh, this sun gazing trend of people looking at the sun at certain states and uh, almost feeling like some type of energetic photosynthesis equivalent in, in a weird way. But that kind of shows that the sun has some positive aspects or that it might not be necessarily man-made. But then I've also heard you talk about this uh, NASA fake sun patent that seems fairly interesting. Well, I was I was watching some other people break it down. I've been aware of this for a long time. And then not too long ago, I don't, I don't even remember who it was. Someone had kicked a video over to me showing that they had patented, you know, an artificial star. It would none of these things would surprise me. Even, you know, when we see the light of the sun going down on the horizon, I have wondered for a long time, am I looking at the physical object we call the sun or am I looking at the displacement of its light? And people could think about this a little like this. Like if you have ever been in a restaurant and you see a straw and a glass of water, the top of the straw you can see, but when it goes under the water, it's like displaced. It's no longer connected to the top of the straw. This kind of refraction or displacement can happen anywhere that light happens. You have to have the right things. And I've wondered for a long time if this is what we are seeing with the multiple objects filmed at sunup or sundown is that something is refracting the light. What got me on this path was I had my hydrogen alpha solar scope out and I filmed what looked to be a reflection of the sun, roughly two sun widths to the left and one sun width up. I did this twice. It was in the exact same spot. On another occasion, I have my full spectrum camera on my eight inch telescope and I was filming the moon where I went about 40 or 50 degrees away from the moon 
and found a bright area in the sky that looked like it was reflecting the moon's sunlight or the moonlight. And so these ideas had always been in my mind because I've said for a long time, there's a hard, fast barrier between us and space. This is probably part of the reason why, you know, all these supposed rockets that are supposed to be going there are not going there. It's hard to know for sure, but we can demonstrate that it's there. So I kind of lost the thread on the original question you asked me. Oh, no. Just uh, just sun stuff. This, you know, is it fake? Is it real? Well, let, let, me, let me just address that because so many people get to a point where they start saying everything's fake. And that's really not a good way to look at it, in my view. It's simply not what you've been told it is. That's a better way to look at it. When you start to think, you know, like in Buddhism, you know, I studied Tibetan Buddhism for a long time. I've studied many religions. But there's this idea that everything is an illusion, and I think it's a valid idea. Take, for example, let's say that the moon is not what NASA told us it was. There's your illusion. We all believe it to be this thing that it is not. Therefore, we're living in an illusion with regard to the moon. But my point would be people get to this point where they think it's all illusion, but you got to always come back to reality. If you step in front of a bus and you get hit, it's going to kill you. <laughs> and that, that demonstrates something to you. So I would just strongly urge people, which wherever they stand on these, uh, you know, these ideas that we're expressing is my point of view is that those things are there. They're just misdescribed, but they're misdescribed by intention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more just a deceptive construct rather than fake. But if not a gigantic nuclear furnace, you know, it's tough to know what it is. I think for me, these questions, I look at the moon, I look at the sun, and they're kind of so big that it's hard for me to find real conclusions about. But one convincing thing is when I'm out on the ocean and I see the super bright sun and it has this hot spot on the ocean right underneath the sun. And a lot of people have pointed this out in videos that it's suspicious. But think about a flashlight against a surface, the beam of a flashlight. As you get closer to it, it like it gets more concentrated. And as you pull out, it gets more uh, broad and uh, kind of covers the whole area. And you would expect, I think you would expect a sun 93 million miles away to not have that hot spot. It almost looks like a sha like the type of shadow... That just, I look at that and I'm like, there's the clue that it's close. I, I At least to me, that's probably the best case anyone could make. What do you think? Uh, of course. I mean, if you take the description you're handed, you know, everyone's seen the pictures. You know, you can go to weather.com and see them where there's a sunspot and they put the earth is this size. In other words, this tiny sunspot on the sun is bigger than the earth or four earths could fit in that. When you start to think of your flashlight being that size, it's impossible. If you took a spotlight that size and then pointed it at something so tiny at a distance, you're just going to light the whole thing, whatever portion is lightable. But that even sets aside the idea of coming into the atmosphere, leaving a vacuum of space, and all this other nonsense that we are told, whatever that barrier is between what we call space and our atmosphere. These things prove a common sense thing. And the power of the system we live in is to make people believe things that are so ridiculous on the face of it, but they've been told it over and over and over since the day they were born, that they can't question it anymore. Many of the things, like the sun is a good example. For someone to say the sun's a hell of a lot closer to us than 93 million miles, the average person's going to roll their eyes. This is the system protecting itself in the lie that we have been constructed into. And a lot of people will go at this and say, well, why did we get lied to? Well, you can think of basic reasons like to deny someone 
the knowledge of knowing where they exist, that that deprives a human being of almost everything. To not even understand where you exist denies you really much ability to know where you're going to go, where you've come from, the things that are even possible in this place, because you don't even know what this place is. Mm-hmm. And you, you can demonstrate this in any number of ways beyond that, going back in history, where why is the Jewish calendar now 5777? Why is the Muslim calendar, wherever it is, why are we at 2016? You can see the construct of it all. Hiding time, hiding how, you know, put it this way. How, how is it possible that this many human beings can exist? And supposedly nobody knows how long we've been here. Nobody knows how we got here and nobody knows why we exist, what we're supposed to do while we're here. Hmm. You know, these, these are the things that really, really demonstrate the construct. Well said. And that does get at the big question. I mean, how have your thoughts on the earthly environment evolved i've heard you say planet on the podcast a couple times and then correct yourself saying that you're trying to kind of take that word out of your vocabulary does that mean your needle has moved closer to the flat earth in recent months well i'm never going to join the flat earth because you know as look at it this way if the flat earth was correct and it's been around for i think a couple hundred years then that means that it was created to be a stumbling block to a group that could be infiltrated or disinformation or whatever. Besides that, I don't join groups. We live in a construct. We live in a construct that has a hard, fast barrier between what we call space, space is also misdescribed, and our atmosphere. As a matter of fact, if the average person goes to look up exactly where space starts, if you look very long, you'll find all kinds of different <laughs> explanations of where space starts, uh, what's it called? The I'm getting it wrong, the Kirillian line. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a line that's a Russian word that kind of tries to mark it at one place. But my point is, you can see all kinds of these definitions for where space starts. How is that? How is that? That should not be a thing. Not only that, I was a radio operator in the Marine Corps. We used to bounce radio waves off the ionosphere. We were told, we, all, we were also told we bounced them off the moon. But as I began to consider the ionosphere thing, I started to think about, well, if we're bouncing off the ionosphere, how can we bounce off anything further? And there are people who will come back talking about frequency and signal strength and all these things. But to set that aside, if you go look up the definition for the ionosphere, in some cases, you're told it starts 30 to 40 miles above our head, it fluctuates, and goes 1,200 miles high. Hmm. 1,200 miles, where the average distance that space, I mean, if we averaged all the things we're told about where space starts, it's, you know, 60 miles to 100 miles, something like that. So what they're saying is the ionosphere is charged particles. So they're telling you that the ionosphere, which is charged particles, goes 1,200 miles, which puts it in space. Space is supposed to be a vacuum, and yet the ionosphere is charged particles. So you find these things. It's it's a bit like not too long ago I saw someone point out that Neil Armstrong's moonwalk suit had been, you know, curated in a museum. And they took a picture of the foot, and then they went and looked at the very famous, his first footprint on the moon, and they don't match. Right, the tread's totally different. Of course, these are the things that just scream, well, let's take this a different way. If a thing is false, there is no human being in this world that can make it true. They can convince you it's true, bringing you into a fantasy-based reality, which is where most of us exist. But the point is, a false thing will always be false. And if it is false and being played off as true, 
that truth will die under the weight of its own details. And that's for all falsehoods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's what we live and die by in the media cycles these days. Right. I mean, we really don't know anything about our environment. People think it's all been discovered and it's all been uh, categorized and the investigation's over. But it's pretty common knowledge that 97 something percent of our ocean is still unexplored. I mean, that's supposed to be the easy part. Well, think of Antarctica. Oh, my God. It's guarded by 57 nations. There are accounts that you can't take with anything more than a grain of salt because he was an admiral, so clearly in the Liars Club. He claimed he found land beyond wherever he went that was bigger than the United States. How many people know that about supposed Antarctica? But, you know, if, in fact, what I am saying is correct, that this world is misdescribed, then you probably don't even know how many land masses or continents are here. Because the one thing that is of the utmost value to the people who rule this joint is owning land. Mm. That's it. You know, there there are canonical bulls in force today that make the claim that the Vatican owns everything. As a matter of fact, if you remember that old remember that old book by Clavel Shogun, and there's a point where the Protestant preacher is trying to tell the Shogun that these Catholics are bad news and you don't even understand why. There's this king of the Catholics called the Pope, and he made this law called a canon that claims he owns everything, even if it's not discovered yet. And the Shogun looked at him, and he goes, you mean he owns Japan? And he said, yes. Hmm. So you can see what's going on here. I mean, it's quite possible that you have no conception of how much physical land is even in our world. Yeah, it really is a tough question. And I have heard you say on the show that, you consider Antarctica to be a bit of a linchpin into truly understanding the environment, and I agree. Of course. Anything that's guarded that heavily, that's named after all royal people, that every once in a while they pull the prince of the British royal house to get his photo ops standing at the supposed South Pole, which doesn't exist. It's, it's all this nonsense, and you get to a higher adult mind where you can instantly detect that the ring of truth is absent. Unfortunately, this doesn't give us all the details we'd all like to have, but it does allow you to start from a real place, understanding you've been lied to. And in terms of Antarctica or any of these other, you know, there's people producing these uh, very old Buddhist maps now where they're showing something like 33 continents outside a ringed ice wall. What? Yeah. The funny thing about all of this is that when people begin to talk about this, you generally see a couple of groups emerge. The spinning ball globe people who want to call everyone who considers the flat earth idea an idiot. The flat earth people who want to consider all the spinning ball people idiots because they just can't see the truth that's right there in front of their face. Then you're going to run into the people that don't really care, and then you're going to get to some that say, I'm just not sure. Well, of all those people that I've just described, the people who say they're not sure really have something to work with mm -hmm. because they're not so programmed that they're going to let everything they were told in school drive what they might know, and yet they're not buying into a thing too early in the game. You know, it's it's like the game I've played. For a long time, they have tried to pull me into Flat Earth. They've used the lunar wave as evidence to that direction, and I don't mind it. It's great that all these people are out there trying to challenge what we've been told, but I've kind of gone my own way. You know, mm -hmm. we, we live in a construct, and we, we live in a plane of existence, in my view. Right. So, man, I'm fascinated with the idea of 
something beyond the ice walls. I mean, is that kind of, regardless of round or flat, are you convinced that Antarctica is some type of barrier and that there's something beyond it? Well, there's clearly something beyond it, even if we were to look at what Admiral Byrd claimed. He claimed, I mean, the United States is a big damn place. I've driven across it probably 40 some times in my life. He's claiming that there was more land than that in some of the accounts. You've got to realize that all these churches, all these official institutions, they've all tracked the sun and they've tracked the sky. What that is, is the real clock. The only true division of time in our world is the solstices and the equinoxes. And to put that in a frame of reference for people, we just had three bogus ritual blood sacrifices for the winter solstice. It was done in Berlin, it was done in Switzerland, and they even did a bogus fake assassination on live TV. This is a ritual for these times of the year. These times of year are critically important to the people who run this joint. And yet, the rest of us have been taught, well, let me back up a step. It was less than three months ago that I went on space.com, because I was looking at equinoxes, as I always am, to learn that space.com said, yes, we announced the equinoxes 24 hours too late all the time. Happens this time and that time, but it's no big deal. And they start writing all these reasons why it's no big deal. Well, I'm sorry. It is a big damn deal. These are the only true divisions of time. And when you understand that our calendar is jacked up beyond recognition, is even encoded in the Vatican saints, for crying out loud, St. Andrew is the saint that represents March, the true first of the year, when all new things spring new again, new birth, new eggs and nests, new plants growing. That is the real first of the year. So St. Andrew, standing in front of this weird X cross called a goniometer, actually, it's two compasses brought back to back. And those two compasses measure the angle of the sun coming across the equator. Now, the saint that represents January or January is St. Peter, Andrew's brother, of course. And so the two men who helped jack this up, we are told if they were real men or not, I can't tell you, was Caesar, Julius, and Pope Gregory. These guys were complicit in jacking up our calendar. And this is further obscuring a human being's ability to assimilate in any natural way with their environment, get in the cyclical nature of things. And that sets aside that we don't know where we are. So on top of all this manipulation, we don't even really understand where we are in the scheme of things. Right. Yeah. The timeline is all jacked up. Our history is full of holes. And you you know what? There's a modern way that, you know, some people may not may be thinking, what the hell's Crow talking about? Well, consider this. Consider daylight savings time. What's it for? Why did they do it? The argument that you were told for implementing daylight savings time makes zero sense. It was so farmers could have more daylight. Well, whether or not the Indian chief that was quoted is a real person or not, there was a quote, only a white man would cut a foot off the bottom of a blanket, sew it to the top of the blanket and think he's changed something. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. Right. They're claiming that a farmer needed more daylight. So great. Get up at four o'clock in the morning. There's your daylight. Yeah. It just affects the numbers on the clock. It doesn't actually create more light in a day. Well, think about this. I just told you the critical importance of equinoxes and solstices. When is the time changed? Well, it's changed at the equinoxes. 
Equinox is a word that means equal night, which tells you something about our spellcraft language. Why doesn't it say equal day? What it's actually communicating to us is that day and night are equal, and yet we choose to say equal night. Equinox, knocked from the German or the Latin. So you, you see what's going on here. There's a modern day representation. And not only that, people that live in San Diego, my favorite city that I was in not too long ago, where you are, you can look straight across to your neighbor in Arizona. They don't do it. Why is it that the great city of Phoenix doesn't do daylight savings times? You see, you can see the construct in all this. Yeah. Wow, man. It, it's getting deep for sure. And the structure of our environment, I just, this is kind of a new paradigm to me. It seems like it might even be able to be described as many little human farms separated by big ice walls, like dog pens and some cosmic kennel. Well, that, this is another reason that I've always kept arm's distance from groups like, you know, while I appreciate what people consider themselves flat earthers, I appreciate that they're challenging things. You will certainly learn more from people just observing and challenging. But it's a little early in the game to draw a new map. I don't have a problem with people trying. That's a great thing. As a matter of fact, they're going back and grabbing other maps like Gleason map and trying to prove it out. These are the people who matter. These are the people who are not content to sit in their little animal farm and eat the slop and, you know, play the game. Point is, it's going to take us a while before we can get to a new map because you've got to get a distance off the ground to do that. But for people listening who still have a problem with all this, I can prove to you right now that every map you've ever seen is nonsense. You grew up looking on the wall in school at what's called a Mercator projection. That's the maps we all grew up with in high school. What we were told about the Mercator projection was one of the reasons it was put in place is because it gave you nice straight navigation lines for maritime, you know, for sea captains. Okay, well, whatever. So they got a map. That's the claim. What most people don't understand is that it grossly deforms the size of a landmass. One of the side effects of what they do is to make all the tiny European ruling class nations where the royal families come from look much bigger than they truly are. Yep. And the third world areas shrunk down. That's just one of the side effects. But now go look at a Gall Peters map and put it straight next to your Mercator projection. Anyone can go online and put them side by side. Well, which one's right? Well, if you're a logical human being, you will come to the conclusion that a logical human being will come to. Neither one of them's right. Because there's not just a Gall Peters, there's also a Peters. There's all these other projections. And what they're telling you is, well, this is the best we can do, guys. Give us a break. It's a globe. How can you possibly take a globe and cut it up and put it on a flat surface? This is the argument. Well, first thing I'd ask you is, really? Is that a true argument? Is that truly the argument? You also told me we went to the moon. I can prove beyond the reasonable shadow of doubt that is nonsense. Mm -hmm. I can prove beyond the reasonable shadow of doubt that rockets fall into the ocean. Anyone who looks at these things can know these things. So getting back to the maps, if you're a logical person and you put four or five of the modern projections, and there are some very modern projections where more people in the recent era went at it to solve this math problem or that math problem. But when you look across them, you can only walk away knowing one thing. You have no idea what the land masses of this world look like. Right. That map manipulation is huge. I've also heard someone talk about how the way they show us the map, you know, the way you read a book, top left to bottom right, they put the European nations on top because there is a psychological component to 
North America and Europe being at the top of our flat map, when in reality, if this is a globe and a ball that's just floating around in space, there really is no top and bottom, yet you'll never see it depicted any other way than United States and Europe on top. And yes, much bigger when in reality, they've shrunken Africa down way more than they should have. So that, so they say. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy thing, but it's not really arguable. Any person who wants to use their higher mind and logic will understand they really don't know what any landmass in this world looks like that they have not seen shot from a plane at 70,000 feet. Not only that, you can put the made-up nonsense NASA Earth from space. You know, there's a couple of them you can put right next to each other, and you can tell one of them, the landmasses are way bigger. The other one's way smaller. Not only that, someone recently took the blue marble photo, which I have said for, I don't know, as long as I've had a telescope. In the modern, you know, since since the 2000s, I've been saying the blue marble is just an artist's rendition. It's it's a construct. They went in with a very critical eye and they circled and squared all the cloud formations that were duplicated using a cloning tool in, you know, something like Photoshop. It proves that the blue marble is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. But to to get back to the point here, um, shoot, what 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 were we talking right I wanted to make a point right before we got to the Gleason map. Gosh dang it, I lost my lost my train there. Yeah, just, just the way they manipulate maps and the way we see the world and that it's impossible to really know. I think that's where you were saying. Yeah, it is. And, and this in, in itself logically tells you something. How can it be in the modern era with technology at such a high level, with planes that we know can go 70,000, 80,000 feet in the air, that we don't have a real map. How is that possible? Right. Well, I'll tell you how it's possible. You live in a construct. You've been conditioned your entire life. That's what school's about. School is about nothing more than to tell you how to get along within the system. But at no point in school were you ever told anything true about the system. Mm -hmm. And that's the sad truth. You know, recently on the tale of the Tavistock work I did in social engineering, I was telling people you should go back out. You know, every high school in America has got Animal Farm on offer for its young people to read. And these books, 1984, Animal Farm, The Brave New World, those books were all written by people who had direct connection to the psychologists who created the Tavistock Institute, which are responsible for a lot of the social engineering. But if you go back with a clean eye and you read Animal Farm, I'll tell you flat out, that's exactly what's happening hmm. to everyone in this world every day. You just need to understand that when you were first handed that book, you weren't told the right context. You know, you were told this is a, a, a sarcastic lampooning of the, you know, the modern condition or some nonsense. Mm -hmm. No, what it is in the terms of Brave New World is a blueprint for what they want this world to be. It's a freaking blueprint. Yeah. Animal Farm is how they do it. 1984 is a very dark kind of view of what they're aiming for could look like. Mm-hmm. And this is what's going on. Yeah. And so far, we've obviously dissected the models served up by the elite and said that, hey, there's a lot of problems here. But it might be confusing for some listeners. Is there any type of uh, mental picture you could paint about what you see the sun, moon, earth system really looking like, how it really operates? Do you have any kind of clear picture of the construct? In a way, but but maybe not so much in a way, you know, it's problematic for people who are just looking at this in passing. 
the stars are not hundreds of thousands of light years away. That's a logical deduction that anyone can make. And I have way more evidence than that. But for the average person, if you took the brightest freaking object you could possibly possess and you had the ability to move it further and further away from yourself, you understand that before too long, you won't be able to see it even in pitch black if you get it far enough away. Everything is close. It's almost, you know, it's reminiscent. There was a, uh, do you remember not too long ago when I was still in San Diego, they were pushing this new show, this miniseries on TV where they put people in a fake spaceship and convinced them they were out in space going to new worlds, but they were in the basement of a building and all this outer space they were seeing was like projected around them on this big dome. Wow. No. <laughs> Yeah, I forget what it's called. Uh, the picture of it shows the moon in the promo pictures as like a construct, like with girders and, you know, like a grid around it. God, I wish I could. Was it Oblivion? I can't remember. That's awesome, though. But it's a TV show, but it's a bit like that. And we're going to get closer to being able to demonstrate these things. You know, we get more people up within what is called the Arctic Circle, just filming the sun cross the sky in a day. And seeing that the sun changes size, it goes overhead and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller all the way to the horizon. These tell you things, you know, when I get over to spring and uh, some of the new people that are my friends these days, we're going to go at the sun and I'll be able to draw a better picture then. But it's a construct in that kind of way where a group of people are put in a spaceship told, oh, you're going to save the world because this place is going to be destroyed. So they're in the spaceship and everything about it to them is real. They're traveling through space. Even when they look out the windows, they see, oh, that position of that star changed. Oh, here's a nebula we're closer to after all these years we've been doing this. And they did it for years. It's that type of construct. The wool has been pulled so firmly over your eyes that you almost build your own illusion for them because of the school and all the things you've been told. Mm -hmm. With a globe in every classroom and a map on every wall. That's right. And that, that should tell you something, too. You know, think think of the earliest movies. Why was it that RKO Pictures, We I, I have, dem as a matter of fact, one of the articles I wrote for you was about the weaponization of music, yeah. and RCA had a lot to do with that. And those early RKO, RCA Pictures, which was all weaponized, part of the problem, corporations, they were showing a spinning globe with a plane going around it and a radio on top of it. And then we got into Universal, same thing. They got to keep putting their false construct into your mind and they will never stop doing it. MTV did it. MTV picked up with the moon man to get the young hip generation to buy into the whole moon landing thing. And not only that, the globe models come out where it shows the land masses right how they want you thinking about them so that you're just lost in space for most of your existence. <laughs> man, I, I love it. It's just so great to challenge these things. And of course, as you noted, we both know that it's not really the year 2016 or 2017 as we're going into the new year, this transition that's made up part of the construct. Right. Right. Is there any way to actually date this environment or know how long humanity has been here or, or what those early, early chapters of our story or this plane story might be? Well, I, I, there's no, I will never accept that there are not human beings alive that know the whole story. And that's a big part of the reason why we're all told nonsense our whole life. I would suggest you could go grab a rabbi. I mean, they're at least up to 5,777 and say, hey, dude, you know, yeah, I'm a goy. 
you know, I know you don't look on me as equal, but maybe you could tell me, you know, where did we come from? Why did you start counting only from five, seven, 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 you know, yeah. what did someone open, was someone open up a jar and pour us all in here? How is it that Asian people don't look like black people, don't look like white people, don't look like redheaded people? And we know by your own rules of what evolution that nonsense is supposed to be. We haven't been here long enough for that kind of variety to have occurred. It's all nonsense, man. <laughs> I'm with you on that. The, the races do seem just too different. And that's not a, a good or bad or a moral judgment of any kind. It's just a, a totally neutral observation that they just seem too different. They, they are different. You know, some of the white rulers in Europe, you know, really treated black people badly. Yeah. Not just the whole slavery thing, but even in the modern construct of Hollywood, how they're always made to look unimportant or ridiculous. And yet those people, if we wanted to take the stories about the Zulu Wars, those people were living in concert with the land. They were living in a sustainable existence. But for these other people, these European rulers, they didn't see any castles. They didn't see any, you know, monstrous building and cantilevered architecture and suspension bridges. So clearly these people were less. Well, look where we are now in this world where trying to live in, in simpatico with the environment, you know, getting back to sustainability. And yet those people all the way back there were doing it. So it goes to show that, yeah, we're all different. Right now, China is taking the United States old role and look at how savvy the Asian races are to the technology of the time. Mm -hmm. You can look at any given group of people and understand that the gifts in that group may be unique to some degree. Yeah. And to get back to space for a minute, it seems like you've been saying that your latest conclusion is that space is water. Is that true? How'd you arrive at that? I suspected it for a long time. It's a funny thing to try to communicate it to people because the average person who saw the 2012 lunar wave footage probably looked at it once or twice, and that was that. You've got to realize there are those of us out here who have looked at everything that's been captured, and that particular footage, I don't even know how many thousands and thousands of hours through filters on every kind of monitor we could get, everything we could possibly do to try to squeeze more information out. But in the back of my mind, it was never far from me simply because I was raised in a Christian household, and I was aware of what that religion had told me, but I had studied many other religions, and each of those religions had claimed that there was something in the sky separating the waters from the waters, and even as a child, it was funny to me because they called it the firmament. Well, firmament is not air. Even if you look up the firm, the word firm is in there, you know, and even if you begin to look at the definition, it implies something solid, but Clearly, religion was never going to drive, you know, enough for me to make the conclusion. So what I had been doing is working on defocusing lights in the sky, stars, bright stars, bright planets, and watching them. And what I began to realize was as I was looking at the exact same pattern as if you turn on a light in a pool at night and you disturb the water, the pattern that you get, it's exactly what a defocused star looks like. But not only that... I notice there's a current, like it'll move left to right from my point of view, and you can go to different stars, and the current is the same, and then it'll change on a different night. And that really started to get me there. But then when I began to look at language is what finally did it for me. I realized that every facet 
of legal language in our world, for the Western world at least, is based on admiralty law, basically pirate's law, maritime law, all of it. All the language is based on being maritime. Well, this translates into space language. We float in space. Everything that gets named, so many of them are ships, sailboats that used to be on the oceans, and now they're named after these ships in space. And, of course, the astronauts always practice in this big pool, which they often film and try to fake like it's space. But I finally said, okay, enough is enough. If this is true, I should be able to predict that the language that I will look at next will leave me no other possibility than to announce one way or the other. And the language I chose was the JFK speech, we are going to the moon. And of course it starts, and I had not heard it in a long time, but in my mind, I had decided that that was mass communication to everybody at a time when we're told we're going to go to space and all this other nonsense. I said, the language has to be there or what I'm thinking is incorrect. Not only was the language there, it's all that's there. We set sail on this new ocean, in this ship, you know, on this new sea. It's all the way. And uh, at that point, I couldn't ignore it anymore. Hmm. The language demonstrates that it's probably some kind of liquid. Wow, man. Uh, well, think, this... think, go for anyone who, who doesn't think that's enough language, go look at the first verse of Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. You ever think about why they're saying we all live in a yellow submarine, you know, and they show you this cute little cartoon. So that's where your context is. Oh, there's the yellow submarine. Well, go look at the first verse of that song. What are they talking about? We go up to the sun until we find the green waters and the way or whatever that, you know, something to that effect. It's everywhere. Once you get into the mindset and after I announced it, I see it everywhere, man. It's painted on the walls for crying out loud. Right. And didn't uh, the Doors have a song? Jim Morrison, of course, his dad was uh, an admiral, I believe, who set up the Gulf of Tonkin. Started Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. Jim Morrison's father is the reason for the beginning of Vietnam. You know? And didn't he have a line about rockets? They don't go anywhere. You know, now that you mention it, I think I had heard that. I wonder if I even said it. I just don't remember at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of lies out there. And this idea that space is water it definitely does put a different spin on that term lunar wave, doesn't it? Yeah, it it absolutely does. But You know, I often say things like when I was initially trying to describe lunar wave, I was using the word hologram, and I came to regret that pretty quickly. Then I started to say facade, and then I regretted that pretty quickly. So I went to very literal language saying, in my view, the moon is not a rock in space, much closer than we've been told, and probably emanating its own light or producing its own light. So when we get back to these other things we're talking about, You know, for rockets, well, before I get off that, we're talking about music. I mean, anyone can go listen to songs like the Chili Peppers, you know, Space May Be the Final Frontier, but it was made in a Hollywood basement. But one thing I had done is go do a search for all the songs about the moon and just start perusing through the lyrics and you'll be very stunned. You know, think of the song Paper Moon. You know, they're all talking about this illusion and quite often sleep or death are wrapped up into it. Right. That is also often connected. Uh, so I could do this all day, but I got to let you go eventually. You know, as we're wrapping this up, it's been a crazy year, 2016, just to try to pull <laughs> some of these threads together. Give us a little synopsis of your 2016 review or how you would assess the workings of the agenda and the state of the awakening. Do you see us maybe going uphill or down in, from this point in 2017? 
I've chosen to use my mental abilities to form reality in a positive way. The last episode up on my show is basically stating that people are catching on to the age of deception. And I have a guest there who, within the last year, woke up to the things that I talk about on his own, having seen one of my clips and then said, wait a minute, how can that be true, going on his own path? This is what I can tell you. I have referred to 2016 as the year of the hoax. Hmm. I refer to the modern age as the age of deception. But there's something further. The age of the hoax might be better described as the age of the hex. Words are so important. People need to get into the habit of looking up the definition of words and the etymology of words so they better understand the spells they're casting with the vibratory tones we call language that they create. So these hexes that are being perpetrated against us by the ruling class of this world, whoever that might be, certainly the royal families, certainly the British crown, anyhow, people are are getting to a point where when I first started talking about these things, I took flack like I was a Marine in a gunfight. I mean, it was unreal. People were upset. It's changed. There's not many things I can say now that people might not dig it. They might get a little unhinged but they're not coming unglued in the way they used to. So this is what I will say. We have reached fever pitch with these hexes, hoaxes, and they are driving the majority of our populations into an animal or lower human mind, just like the deer in the woods. Human beings don't need to be that way. Human beings have vast ability, and that's what's being crunched down. But it's not just what they're doing. They're casting spells in a way. So that's what I would say about the the 2016 And I would also say that the only mind that is completely lost is the certain mind because a certain mind has no ability to grow or change or shape. So as a human being, it might be helpful if you decide that no matter what belief system or what things you hold to be accurate, that you're willing to challenge them. Because I have said for probably nearly five years now, belief is the enemy of knowing. And I have never said a truer thing in my life. Hmm. Cheers to that. It's hard to assess anything accurately anymore. But before we go, of course, give the people your links and maybe tell them what you have planned for your podcast or maybe some topics or areas of inquiry you plan to tackle going forward. Okay, so uh, I I am Crow777 on YouTube as I've ever been. Uh, My podcast website is crrcrow, so crow777radio.com. There was a bunch of counterfeit crow sites, but apparently someone shut him down. There were almost 10 of them. He bought the top-level Crow 777 domain. The only real crow site right now is crow777radio.com. I'm about to launch a new website, which will be a lot better, and I will have a pretty cool forum um, in there. I know Greg's had that for a long time, but you will find in all the time since last March I've been running my podcast, I've only had to kick one person out. And all that time, and on YouTube, like I've kicked, I don't even know how many people who want to act like jackasses I've had to kick out. So it's a great place to come and talk about things that maybe not everyone's willing to talk about. In terms of what I'm going to cover next, what I have tended to do is I put out four shows a month, but I try to let what's happening now in my lifetime drive what the shows I'm covering are about. Right on. So, yeah, only time will tell. That's right. Um, occasionally, I'll I'll go off and do one, you know, to show people why the moon landing, the Manson nonsense, and Woodstock were all, you know, 
BS. Mm -hmm. And people are going to say, what? Well, here, I'll leave you with one. Woodstock didn't happen in the way you were told. Neither did the moon landing, and Manson was nothing more than a way to get people. See, in that period of time, the moon landing happened. Then they did the Manson hoax, which is no different than any of the false news now, but they were leveraging it to get people to quit looking at the moon because it was false, and presumably people were starting to catch on, maybe. But then, to get people's eye off Manson, they did Woodstock. Woodstock did not happen in the way you were told it was, and it all came home to me when I realized I had remembered, you know, I was looking at the idea of spellcraft, and I remembered that Woodstock happened under a new moon. In the documentary film Woodstock, they show a half-lit moon. So I caught them lying in a documentary, passing off footage from a different time. So I went to look at it. Here's one anyone can do to go see what nonsense Woodstock is, besides the fact that half a million people came in those tiny roads and got out. We are told that the headlining act of Woodstock was Jimi Hendrix, greatest musician on the planet at the time. It's going to headline Woodstock. It was in his contract. Um, go look at the footage when Jimi Hendrix is on stage. Not only does he not really play songs, he plays a couple songs, but it's mostly just jamming on his guitar. I noticed the lack of audience sound, and when they panned out to the audience, that's when it struck me. We were told there were half a million people there. The biggest act in the world was on stage, and it looks like there's a couple hundred people in the audience, and the ground does not look like it was trampled on by 400,000 people in the rain. Um, it's all crazy. Um, so you can look at that one thing and understand that you're being told 400 million people were there, but on the last day, they all just got up and left while the biggest act in the world went on called Jimi Hendrix. And that sets aside that the initial Woodstock was set for a different town I've forgotten the name of. They moved it from that town to White Lake, I think, or something like that, something kill, wall kill, from White Lake to wall kill to Woodstock. But the initial tickets were published saying Woodstock, um, and no directions, no nothing. But if you turn over on the back of the ticket, this little event no one knew was going to grow into this thing it was, it says, if you hold this ticket, we have the right to film you and use it in any way we want. In other words, we're going to be filming. And there were at least three live camera crews at Woodstock. Uh, there's no reason for all this. Hmm. Wow, man. Yeah, the house of cards is just falling apart. But Awesome. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We certainly hit a lot of the bases today, and, you know, I just love it. So take care of yourself out there. Keep doing what you do, and cheers. Hey, man, thanks for having me on, and I'll have to do one for you one of these days. I was up at 3 o'clock this morning, so I know I'm a little punch drunk. But oh, anyhow, wow. thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Take care. And boom goes the dynamite, people. That is how you start a new year. Crow diving headfirst into the deep end of the weird pool. <laughs> It had been quite a while since we heard from Crow. I was actually a little disappointed to hear that he's moving away from the Hattie Bob material. But I guess when you're coming to the conclusion that the Earth is a human terrarium, a prison planet, or a prison plane for that matter, you can't really fit spider beans from deep space into that construct. Unless, of course, they built it. But man, I love the guy. Definitely taking things to their extreme. I've spoken with several guests now who are pretty sure the moon gives off its own light and is not a reflection from the sun. That, to me, is one of the wildest, most controversial claims that any guest makes. Eric Dubay, I believe, was the first when he said the sun gives off hot light and the moon gives off cold light. And in a flat earth paradigm, it's probably easier to entertain because you have to have an answer that's different than the reflection theory. And then Sophia Smallstorm 
talked about the sepsis cycle and moonlight as the silver light that promotes decay. And now Crow also seems to be pretty firm on that. The problem for me is that when I think of a celestial body giving off light, I think about the whole body glowing. So if the moon was giving off its own light, why the phases? What would be making that? And when I look at the phases and the angle of reflection from the sun, it always seems to work out. Like I never see a half crescent facing east when the sun is coming down in the west. You know what I mean? The angle of light and positioning of the sun and moon always seems to kind of jibe with that reflection idea. So if this paradigm that these guests have suggested is accurate and the moon is giving off its own light, it almost would have had to be constructed with that lie in mind. If the sun and moon are just disks in the firmament, why make it look the way it does, unless you had the globe model and space theory in the chamber to confuse everyone with? And there definitely are old texts that talk about the moon giving off its own light, but I always took that as allegory. I don't know. I think that's pretty out there, and I do love these ideas. I just can't confirm or deny. Either way, really. But what about the planets? I mean, when we see them with the naked eye, they do look just like stars, but brighter. Some people say they twinkle differently or that they don't twinkle, that they're more constant. But I still see the twinkle. And I guess the point is, are they just brighter because they are that much closer to the Earth than the stars that we see billions of light years away, apparently? Why is the quality of light reflecting off of rocky planets and gas giants almost identical to these actual balls of light if they're just reflections? Wouldn't the reflection of Mars look way different than Venus if one is rock and one is gas? Why don't the planets show any sort of phases based on the angle of the sun if the sun is so giant in comparison to these little marbles? Shouldn't they have the type of quality that the moon has where we sometimes see Venus or Mars as a crescent? I mean, those are just some things I've been wondering lately, legitimately. But maybe I'm overthinking it. It's just not something I could ever really confirm or be sure about, I guess. Dinosaurs are another one. I see the argument. There's definitely a lot of museums that just have molds rather than real skeletons or skulls. And we know museums have covered up things and lied to us before, no doubt. And it could work right in line with the new chronology stuff. Alter the history in books. You also own archaeology, so you make up this idea that creatures have been here for millions of years when really this material prison is quite young by comparison. I could see that line of thinking there. But I also like the line of thinking that once our planet was ruled by reptiles and maybe there was an intelligent reptilian humanoid that survived in some fashion underground and that these beings are the top of the pyramid, a past of reptiles with an intelligent humanoid amongst them, and now we have a present system of mammals dominated by an intelligent humanoid that's mammal-based. Maybe that explains such a cultural memory of dragons and reptiles, you know, the snake in the garden, the Chinese dragon, the first ritual in recorded history that Gordon always reminds me of that was to a snake god, the goddamn Mario Brothers fighting the good fight against the reptilian royalty that is the Koopa family. <laughs> I like that idea, that reptilians are so ancient and advanced and hidden that they made the greys as android servants and that they abduct and experiment on people without our knowing, maybe even made us. We do have a reptilian part of the brain, they say, and the third eye in lizards and reptiles today. 
Also has a retina, a cornea, and a lens, I've heard. So there's some really weird clues in that space. And I like how the dinosaur piece fits into that worldview. But see, I'm just saying what I like. What I find to be a good, entertaining, and possibly true paradigm. It's all beyond, again, what I can confirm. So maybe Crow is right, but I'm also going to say that anything that insinuates a young Earth or no dinosaurs, it can be a trigger for me because it reminds me of the young Earth Christians, and then I just, I recoil. So I have a bias, and I'm fully aware of it, I'm telling you now, that when strange ideas start to sound too close to that stuff, I do tend to go another way. I don't have evidence to the contrary, it's just a preference. But I'm not trying to pick apart the stuff that Crow came to the table with. I have no idea. And in fact, I know I probably said, I love it, man, a dozen times in this episode because he's got such conviction for such controversial positions, and I do just love it. I find his moon stuff compelling. The orb footage he shot is amazing. The idea that rockets don't go anywhere. The more footage I see, the more interesting that idea is. Satellites. NASA lies. I mean, we have a lot of areas of serious agreement. I mean, the man questions things to a level that few dare to go, and he moves the needle further every time I talk to him. It's a great mental exercise for what we take for granted and for what we've been told that we not only never question, but actually defend a lot of the time, as if we have any goddamn idea what the planets really are. Is there a Planet X closing in? Is there a goddamn dome above us? Is the underside of whatever this thing is hollow? We may never know. I do think Pizzagate is a real scandal, though, that's being covered up and at the same time being used as a perfect excuse to crack down on internet journalism. But that's just how I see it. And if you like the first hour of this show, you know you're going to like the second. We talked about ether theory quite a bit, nukes as a fabrication, rockets and satellites as bullshit constructs to make us think space is real. The dinosaur discussion was also in the Plus Show for people wondering why they didn't hear that. Now that I think about it, that would be why. And we talked about Crow looking into Anatoly Fomenko and finding some areas of agreement there. So all good stuff, a little longer than two hours, and a great way to kick off the new year when we might want to get away from the nitty-gritty political stuff and get into the bigger, more provocative things like we did today. I loved it. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Sign up for the Plus Show at thehiresidechatsplus.com and let's get the year started off right. Pick up a shirt from thehiresideclothing.com and get girls guaranteed and come back for the next show when we're going to get really weird with the power of manifestation, healing, and some of the best lab experiments and concrete data yet that might prove there's something there. I can't wait. I already have several friends in the medical and scientific fields that I want to show that episode to and see if they can find any glaring holes, but I think it's going to be a good one. He makes uh, quite a case. Until then, I've done my part. Your move, Arconic Architects, NASA Deceivers, and Space Theorists, your fucking move. Call what? It's your show now. So what's it gonna be? Because people will tune in to... Hear another new conspiracy Almost too much of We thought this was low It's bad, getting worse So where'd all the good people go? They're on the higher side chats Cause it's everybody's favorite show Where'd all the good people go?
Side chat testing one two. Now what you gonna do? Bad news, misuse. Got too much to lose. Give me some truth. Now whose side we on? Whatever you say. Turn on the boob tube. I'm in the mood to obey. So lead me astray. By the way, now where'd all the good people go? They locked him up. It seems for protesting Monsanto. Good people go. They're on the THC, my favorite show. Sitting down, new episode to hear. Wanna light a bolt, but I fear the police. Can you hear me? Can't interrupt me from this friendly conversation. For THC, with the car wood, there's no hesitation. Exposing the truth, getting to the elite. Scams, schemes, conspiracies, and treason. It's an excellent show. What I need to know is where'd all the good people go? Getting hate and fear from all the other hoes. Where'd all the good people go? Guess that makes THC my favorite show. Where'd all the good They people go? They talk this and that on the highest side chat testing one two. Now what you gonna do? Bad news, misuse. Got, give me some truth. You got too much to lose. Whose side are we on today? Anyway. Okay, whatever you say. Wrong and resolute, but in the mood to obey. Station to station, desensitizing the nation. Going gone. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the first hour of the Higher Side Chats podcast with me, Greg Carlwood. If you don't know, there is a second hour to all the episodes we do around here. Generally, we're able to get a lot deeper into the topics and ideas that a guest is about. So if you enjoyed what you've heard from THC for free, consider signing up at thehiresidechatsplus.com to get the second hour of the five shows I put together each month. I never really wanted to be a paid subscriber podcast, but I really hate the idea of spending airtime promoting some product that's completely unrelated and telling you the best way to support the show is to buy an audiobook or new underwear by mail or something crazy like that. So instead, if you like the show... Double your time with it for five bucks a month and let's cut out all the other shit. It's half the price of a movie ticket and you get at least an extra five hours of show a month. Collectively, it keeps us stable and it frees me from wasting your time with anything but the show you came to listen to. It's really the only way for an independent one-man show to make it and I do what I can so that it's worth your while. Since we started this, I've always tried to use the subscriptions to improve the podcast and make signups more advantageous. It started with just a second hour for the main show, but now we've got a nice forum going where people can get deeper in conversation about the episodes with other listeners, submit a candidate in the guest request thread, or share their own personal projects to get out of the soul-crushing 9-to-5 cog-in-the-wheel life on the Entrepreneur's Thread. The forum and the plus comments are always the first places I try to go for listener engagement, but it does get harder as the show gets more popular, 
Because of that, there's also a direct messaging feature that you can use to reach me through the Plus site also. But beyond the form, if you like any of the music I've used for THC, most of it I've hired artists to make, and I provide it all as free downloads to Plus members too. So if you like a particular song you've heard close the show out recently, come get the MP3. I should also mention that if you don't like the idea of paying $5 recurring every month, I get that. You can buy three months, six months, or a year up front and just be done with it. I have plenty of listeners who send checks and money orders to the P.O. Box too. I try to make it as easy for people as I can, and you can read more about it on the sign-up page. Also, be sure to check out the FAQ Help page on the Plus site if you have any questions or concerns about how to listen to a password-protected show on your devices. I've highlighted a lot of great solutions, and one of those would be the iPhone app that just recently hit the Apple App Store. A super kind and talented listener made it for us, and you can use it to stream or download either the free or the Plus show. If you're on Android, I'd use Pocket Casts or Podcast Addict and subscribe to the feed manually that way. I also try to throw in occasional bonus shows or Q&A shows, and I've got a few other weird ideas I might get to try out soon, but I give you all I can for five bucks, and I hope you'll at least give it a shot if you've listened to a few free shows and you find them unique or valuable. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm just one of them. But if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about any of this, please get in touch with us at the Higher Side Chats team at gmail.com. I also wanted to plug the Higher Side newsletter I'm going to be putting out, totally free for anyone who wants to sign up at the main internet website for the show, thehiresidechats.com. You can also get on that email list through the Higher Side Chats Facebook page. There's a button there as well. But the reason I'm doing this is because I get tons and tons of emails after a show goes up asking me about how I feel about a particular guest or topic, and the wrap-up isn't always the best place to do that, especially if I have anything negative to say. Sometimes the dust needs to settle, sometimes I need to hear feedback from you guys first. There are a lot of factors, but I usually have something to communicate to you, and I just don't get to do it. So on the first of the month, I plan to send out a little newsletter with my thoughts about the five shows the previous month, and talk to you about anything else that's on my mind or that's going on. And what's probably most enticing is that I'm going to give you some insight into at least one guest I have coming up in the month, which people have been begging for some posted schedule for a long time. I personally think I'd like the surprise. But sign up for the Higher Side newsletter. It's free. It comes out on the first of the month, and I won't waste your time with any other emails. And that's it. I appreciate you listening. I try to give alternative ideas and guests a fair shake on a high-quality podcast, expose some deep level conspiracies without the yelling and i hope to offer some inspiration that even though the system relentlessly suggests you should follow their blueprint to mediocrity you can do your own thing and live a much happier life despite all the negativity in the world so go ahead and treat yourself isn't it about time